Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team down a long set at the belt now the delivery and here it comes that's into the air down the right field line again slicing toward the corner Cordell there that ball is fair off the wall Candelero didn't know it he's rounding third right now getting the green light he's going to come in and score and Miguel Cabrera stops at second with another RBI this time a double and it's six to one Tigers it's hit high in the air to deep right center field that is chasing Castellanos back. He'll look up, and this one's gone into the bleachers. It was high, it was far, and it's gone. And that is number four on the air for Yonder Alonso. It's now an 8-2 to two game. Renegar from the set to look at third, the delivery. Swinging a high fly, deep center field. At the track, at the wall, Jones can't get it. Two-run homer, we're with it two. Turn on the fireworks. High fly, left field. This is it a ton. At the track, at the wall, leaping, gone. Three-run homer, Sox lead. Turn it on, light it up. They may be questioning, Ed, if Abreu passed Anderson at first base. It was very close. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of befuddled right now because if that just happened, there are some things you just can't explain. And the pitch swung on high, deep to left. Got a chance. Hit the track. It's gone. Game winning home run. Light it up. Sox win 12 11. It was a wild one last night, to say the least, at Guaranteed Rate Field. Highlights courtesy of yours truly, WGN Radio. Look at you, Andy Mazer, making the highlight reel. Oh, there you go. I had to make sure that got in there. You know, it's in my contract. Uh, the, hey, listen, self-promotion is one of uh, a very key thing in media. Yes. Look who's in studio. It's he's for, here. He's former White Sox, now working, of course, for the organization. Michael Huff, good to see you, sir. Thank you. Good to be seen here, guys. That was uh, who? Anybody else throw something when Tim Anderson did the bat flip for the winner last night? Because that was uh, that was a moment to celebrate. I was high-fiving a few people where yeah. I was at, I'll, t- I'll tell you for sure. Did you see somebody on Twitter did a side-by-side of that one and the Kansas City one? It's exactly the same thing. The swing and the the, the javelin throw, it's the same thing. I saw that as well. That was creepy how they did a great job. I'm like, okay, let's have some fun. Now, throw it out there. Now, they didn't exactly do that in, in your day, Michael Huff. That was, that's a little aggressive now, but I, I you know people are coming around to it. I love it. I like some excitement in my baseball, but then some do get annoyed by it, like the Kansas City Royals. Well, I, I mean, 
for me, playing in the early to mid-90s, it, there were a couple guys that did a few things, i.e. Uh, Barry Bonds. You oh. know, there's a few people for good or for bad. But in my mind's eye, if you're doing it and you're going to your teammates and, and you're facing your fans or, or you're facing your dugout and you're doing something, you're not showing up the other team. I mean, this is just exuberance and excitement. And we know Tim so excited about this year and all the prospects coming up and all the fun stuff that's going to be happening. I, you know, I really don't see a problem. So the other day, I don't know if you guys saw the Phillies and Mets game where Reese Hoskins hit the home run. He was drilled the night before, and he got thrown high and tight the night that same night. He hit a home run. It took him 34.2 seconds to get around the bases. Oh, yeah, he, he did was a slow trot. <laughs> he was trotting. And to the, to the credit of the pitcher after the game, he said, hey, if I would have made a better pitch, he doesn't get to run the bases. See, I don't want to go at you baseball players here, Michael Huff, because, you know, I don't have the same pedigree as you. I did dominate freshman B baseball at Highland Park in 1989. That's why we're both here, right behind the mic, right? Four errors in the first (laughs) inning of one game, never recovered mentally, and I'm still actually fighting that moment today. But there's a certain, for lack of a better word, softness where a pitcher gets... Somebody hits a home run off you, and so you're up. I'm mad at you now. I'm going to throw at you rather than like looking in the mirror and say, "Hey, man, I made a bad pitch." Like there's, it's it, it's it's portrayed as tough. I'm tough. I'm going to hit you now. But really, it's the other way, and you're you're reacting like a five year old. Am I wrong here? Uh, I, I'm not going to say really wrong. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to like spin this just a little because I remember in the pitchers meetings or, or in the clubhouse when we would have the meetings and, and kind of listening in on the pitchers meetings that if there were certain players that were leaning over the plate, you know, our pitching coach was telling them, you've got to throw it inside and don't be afraid to hit someone. I had a great teammate in Jack McDowell that, again, he would really see if someone was diving for his forkball or slider outer half. And if he saw a guy diving like that, he's like, screw it. If I got two outs and I'm not a high pitch count, I'm just going to freaking hit the dude if I see him and I'll let him go to first base. I'll get the next guy out. Yeah, there's a difference to me, and, and the way that the, the umpires run the game these days, because if you hit somebody now, there's a warning, and you, you throw the ball inside, you don't even get a chance to retaliate because the umpires are trying to figure out. You know, to me, it's hard enough for an umpire to get a call right, let alone a ball and strike, <laughs> let alone figuring out, hey, you were trying to throw at him. They, they have no idea. And the self-policing times when you were playing – eliminated all this stuff because you hit one guy, they hit another one, it's over. It's right. done. It was even, imagine an umpire trying to say to someone like Nolan Ryan, oh, I'm sorry, yes. sir, you can't throw inside. You're ejected Nolan from the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan would have hogtie an umpire. White Sox Weekly is on the air here, team. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We should lay out what's going on here today. Andy, you sat down with General Manager Rick Hahn. We're going to play that coming up after 4 o'clock. Ron Kittle's going to be on the show at 4.35. Michael Luff, you're doing phenomenal stuff uh, off the field with uh, the White Sox Training Center. Am I saying that right now? I know yep. we've, had, we've had a flip here from White Sox Bulls to the, the White Sox doing their own thing. The Bulls are doing their own thing. Yeah, it's very exciting. You know, this the Bull Sox Academy was started literally 30 years ago by Jerry trying to give back into the communities for me being back in Chicago for the last 10 years and working out there uh, over the last couple months uh, over I want to say six months both of the organizations it was challenged to them from the folks out in Lyle that how do we make the Bulls take and drive us a little bit more the White Sox take and drive the baseball fast pitch a little bit more rather than some folks out in Lyle doing good things getting thumbs up from both the Bulls and the White Sox and then having the Bulls and White Sox support that I at the time being the president I I, I challenged some folks to let's turn this thing around and really have the Bulls 
utilize what they had, which was this great facility, these great coaches. And for the White Sox, same thing. You have this great facility, these great coaches, but really have the messaging coming from the White Sox and the Bulls and, and really having sort of the marketing and the support. And it's been, uh, since we started this sort of after the first of the year, it's been incredibly exciting. And such a great opportunity for kids to be a part of all that and feel like they are part of that organization. Yeah, well, and, and in some ways they always were, but now I think that there's a little bit added element to it because you truly have the White Sox marketing department with Mike Downey, Gareth Brindlin, and and Brooks Boyer really reinforcing and almost doubling down on any of the programming that we're doing, be it a hitting, a, a fielding, a throwing for the boys, be it a fast pitch slapping camp or something for the girls, and really making sure we're getting them down to the ballpark and really becoming a part of the White Sox family. So for parents who are listening right now and they've got a six-year-old, seven-year-old, and they think they've got some talents, maybe they'll be able to play high school baseball, maybe they'll be able to do more than that, and they want to help their kid as best as possible and maybe align with what you guys are doing, how does that work? I would just go online, go to the White Sox, dot com forward slash play and you will see we've got sort of four areas of doing things from travel teams that we are doing the travel teams to regular camps and clinics to private lessons to doing things both inside our facilities but also reaching out to communities and going and doing programming in communities or actually training travel teams in their facilities in their backyards and how will they get to uh, interact with you, Michael Huff, former <laughs> former, former White Sox, played with the organization, 91, 92, 93, part of a division championship team? You'll, you'll see Michael Huff and Dan Pasqua um, oh. at various camps, uh, both in our facilities in LaGrange, where we have a great partnership with the LaGrange Park District. Dean, Bias, Dean Bisius and folks there uh, do a great job. Um, Dan Pasqua oversees that, and he comes out to Lyle with me. And then in the summer, Right now, it, it's so exciting because for the summer camps, we are literally going to be in over 40 communities for over those 10 weeks from northwest Indiana all the way up to Libertyville in the northern suburbs, all the way out west, Geneva. Um, and you're going to have either Dan Pasqua or Mike Huff at every game. You're gonna, we're going to be bringing all the kids to the ballpark. If you register for a camp, you are coming to the ballpark. You're going to have a chance to meet with one of the coaches, be it Joe McEwing, Nick Capra, you're going to be with Jason Benetti, and we're going to have one of the starting players. So it's stay watch batting practice and stay for the game. Age ranges, what are we talking here? For the summer camps, it's kind of 5 to 12. We really try to hit that little league, and granted little league might be 9 to 12, but we kind of work our way down to the T-ballers, those little sluggers. But the, call it 5 to 12 for the summer camps. And, and, again, a very exciting time. They're going to get a lot of swag. They're going to get a lot of stuff from the White Sox, you know, for, from, you know, the coaches uh but the neat part is that you're really you're going to get four tickets you're going to go to a game you're going to see it's a fireworks night hmm. you're going to be a part of batting practice so you're going to see the world series trophy it's it's a pretty special and what's that cost it's a great value you were it's telling a buck 50 it's like 150 bucks for a five-week camp uh, i'm sorry five-day camp uh week-long camp five days either in the mornings nine to twelve or the afternoons one to four can i pass for a 12 year old you think see that's about i act like one i have to shave the beard a little yeah. bit <laughs> Well, and you're here, look, you're a local guy, went to Northwestern, played for the Sox. Remember grew... playing on those Highland Park fields very well. Right. I Nutrier, mean, boy. Nutrier. I still talk to him, even though he went to Nutrier. But so, you know, when you're trying to actually get to where you got to playing in the big leagues and you're in the Midwest, with the weather that we deal with, it's you're, you're and everything that's going on down south where they're playing year-round, it's, it's you're, 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 you're climbing uphill, right? 
In some ways you are. Again, the neat part was when we were started 30 years ago by Jerry Reinsdorf. It was the Bull Sox Academy. So we were really pushing kids to playing multiple sports. And I think up north, when you have that ability, you are going to develop an overall and a complete athlete rather than playing baseball for 12 months a year or AAU and that basketball for 12 months a year. So when I first came back to the organization, back to Chicago, um, literally there were a couple of parents that I would see in September. And look at our swing. You know, we did the summer camp. We play on this travel team. We're starting to get after it. I'm like, it's September. Give the kids some time off. Look at my shirt. I have two logos on it, basketball and baseball. Wouldn't you like to try basketball? And the kid's kind of looking at me, almost afraid to say no to dad. But then it, it began to kind of sink in. And almost every one of the kids that plays for us and all of the, the travel teams and all the little leagues that, that we are working with – Everyone espouses the multiple sport. Everyone understands, again, if I can teach and build that foundation, which we can help them. And, and most importantly, we love helping the teachers. I mean, I, I'm grabbing parents, Dan Pasquet, when our coaches, Jerry Novak, is out there working with these teams. We're making sure the coaches are working with us, but we also call out every parent on the side. And the joke is that, hey, we are so excited to be here and work with your kid this one or two times. And, and God bless these coaches. They're going to see your kids 30 times this year. And we've already worked with them once and now a couple of practices. But guess what, Mom and Dad? You have to see them 365 times. So watch what we're doing and reinforce it at home. Yeah, it's amazing, too, because you'll, you'll bump into – great baseball players, the guys that have retired that are Hall of Fame caliber players, and they say to every parent, make sure this kid gets a well-rounded experience in sports because you never know when your football instincts can take over in basketball or your basketball instincts can take over on a baseball diamond. And as you point out, just pure enjoyment, just to be able to get to, you know to get to experience something else. I, I want to come back and talk about that because I think it's just a very important conversation. Because you have everyone's ramping it up. Parents want their kids to get that. You get hold, you know. Right, and and there's there's a lot of thoughts on how best to do it. So let, let's let's have that conversation with somebody who might have a couple ideas about it. Michael, Love coming on back here. <laughs> hey, uh, take the family out to the ball game with a family four pack. Uh, receive four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, four chips. 49 bucks. That is a deal. It's brought to you by Country Financial. Prepare for your financial future one simple step at a time and take simplesteps.com. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash fourpacks today. Join us for Star Wars Night at Guaranteed Rate Field on Saturday, May 4th. May 4th. Get it? As the White Sox take on the Boston Red Sox, first 15,000 fans receive an R2-D2 bobblehead presented by TransUnion. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets and do it today. I don't know if I got it. May the 4th be with you. Ah, I like it. Very good. I like it. There you go. White Sox Weekly. Michael Huff in studio as we talk about the White Sox training center camps, all that. And, uh, hey, we got a lot on the show today, including the general manager, Rick Hahn, coming up at 4 o'clock, 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN White Sox Weekly with you till five thirty. Hope you're enjoying the non baseball weather. If you can, you got you got to get out and just. I did embrace it. You did. I got out a little bit there just to kind of walk outside and I tell you what, these snowflakes they hurt. These are some big flakes. I'm impressed. We're, you know, we, our view here is right straight down the Chicago River. Boats are still rolling here. Yeah, they are. People, uh, the tourists who are coming in here, there's like. Three of them, but they're out on that boat, man. That's like that's Michael Huff level of toughness. They've heard about how beautiful the skyline is from the lake, so they're uh -huh. going to get out there yeah. even if they can't see it because of the snow. So, so we were having an, an interesting discussion uh, before the break here about uh, how best to help a 
your young man or woman advance them their way through the baseball slash softball whatever it is world and you were making a point michael that it's not in your opinion at least so many parents are like you got to make a decision at nine years old. What are you going to do? And if it's baseball, then you got to do that year round. It's you're shaking your head, so you you don't like that at all. Uh, not at all. I, I grew up in a in an athletic household, um, but was playing soccer, football, basketball, baseball. Was running track. Was in all sport camps probably up until eighth grade. And I think there was something about letting a kid develop their body, boy or girl. Um, you guys were jo joking around before about what you learn in football versus basketball. I guarantee I played all three sports through high school. Football, I learned the, I really learned the difference between an injury and pain. You know, when you get come around on an option and a defensive end squashes you, you got to get back to the huddle. So, again, get out there if you're a little bit sore. Basketball being the point guard, having to cover everyone's quickest point guard, I got down low, had great lateral movement, and trust me, that helped me become the base dealer that I was in high school, college, minor leagues, and even major leagues. And what about just the sheer burnout for a kid who is doing it every day? The parents, like, you know, he, he's feeling the pressure that, I you know, I got to be successful, I got to be good, I'm competing against my friends, I also want to get a scholarship i mean there's a lot on a kid's shoulder you're taking away a lot of the fun well and there's so many parents that i've come across that don't realize that their kids can recognize that i mean it is so obvious when you have a 9 10 11 year old kid whose dad is the coach has pulled them out of the little league because he's the third best player on the team but he thinks oh my gosh i gotta play travel ball because he needs to do more and that kid feels the pressure from mom and dad. And again, just like you guys are saying, he wants to have fun. He wants to learn to love the game, but that's the quickest way to turn him off. And that's part of the reason that Reinsdorf started us 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, we've seen so many examples of that, even uh, guys that have been successful. I mean, I think about Todd Marinovich, you know, just the fact that his dad really, you know, story goes, forced him into doing this and things happen. I'm not saying that everything's going to turn out that way. But, I mean, you got to let the kid be a kid at, at certain points. And I remember my dad coaching Little League. I mean, I was never one of the best players on the team. But I, I had a blast because I was playing ball with my friends. And after, the, after a, bas a baseball game, we'd go play basketball in someone's driveway. I mean, it was just the way we did things. Everybody has a thought on this. And, and a lot of parents out there are like, you don't, you know, you don't see the competition around me. Billy down the street yeah. is is got a private this two days a week, and Bobby over here, and you're asking me to, to step back, and you know, I've, I have, I've, I have I me and or yeah, Andy, I mean, we get, we've yet to have children, yeah, whatnot, uh, and and maybe hopefully someday it'll happen for both of us. And I and I and I listen. I can already tell that I don't want to be the person who's going. Look, I got cut in seventh grade, and I did it wrong, and you got to do it the right way. I can I can already feel that. Yeah. Like, do you know who Steve Bartoli was? He cut me. That's not going to happen to you. Yep. And Dan, you know, like, I, but I, I think a lot of parents, you just you kind of got to step back and realize it's not about you, dude. And, and, and maybe your kid's not that talented. Some of them aren't going to be Major League Baseball players, too. Let them just have fun out there and learn some life lessons. That's fine, too. Well, and, and that, again, I, part of my spiel, which is very lucky, um, because it, it, I know it comes across genuine because it is. I never was a captain. I never was an all-star. I never played travel ball seven years in the Major Leagues. Wow. So I can look at these parents and say, I was this. I was the five foot tall, ninety five pound guy entering high school, hoping to make the freshman a football team. That was me. We have the same birthday too. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Michael F and I were okay. both born on August eleventh. Um, I was five foot nine, five foot five foot zero, one hundred and five pound prepubescent going into high school. You're yep. dead. You congratulations. Thank Seriously, you. that's not that is not easy to do. Well, but to your point, I'm able to say to the parents, it, it is not playing ninety games this spring or this summer that's going to help your kid make a high school team. 
It's going to be, does he love the game? Does he play it with his friends? I, I'm sure, I mean, Andy, mm -hmm. we've talked about this before, that how many kids now do you see just going with their friends and playing a game? Very few. Everything has to be structured. And that's one of the worst things that you can do for a kid's development. There's no imagination. There's no half-field games when it's just three against three, and if you hit it to that side, you're out. You don't learn how to hit to the other field because you don't have to. Yeah, and I I see it in basketball too. Like I, you know, I I see five six year olds. They're playing, and you've got these coaches out there, and they're wearing the jerseys, and the clock's going. And I get it. It's cool. It's fun. You're wearing Michigan or Duke or whatever. But like, man, you're six. You should be at the park, yes. not not in in some super structured thing. And you should. And if you really like it, you should be playing all day until mom and dad say, "Hey, you got to come home and wash your hands and have some dinner." Well, I and mean, that that just feels a lot more healthy to yep. me. And that goes back to when did we come home? When the streetlights came yeah, on. Exactly right. right. You know, that's the only time that you knew it was time to go home. I, I think the best part about our summer camps, again, not even the fact that we're you know way north, way south all the way out west in the city and the suburbs, is that for these kids, they're going to have a couple hours of real drills of the very basic fundamentals. How we Again, how do you not screw up your kids? We're going to teach the kids how to do that. But then the last hour, there's going to be so many games. There's so much fun. And again, making sure that we incorporate bringing the kids to the ballpark, letting them watch batting practice, letting them watch how the professional players actually stretch. Because, heck, no kid wants to stretch. But when you see Tim Anderson and Yohan Mankata and Jose Abreu out there stretching, all of a sudden it's like, oh, if those guys are doing it, maybe I should do it too. Michael Hoff, Chicago White Sox, with us here in studio on White Sox Weekly. And if you want to learn more about the camp, WhiteSox.com forward slash play. And just looking at it right now, it's $149 for a four-day camp, $159 for a five-day camp, $99 for a four-day fast-pitch camp. A lot of options here, 5 to 12 years old, 9 to 14 for the fast-pitch camp. Uh, so you can check it all out. Get your kid involved. Add on to the experience and, and have some fun out there. Yeah, you can join us as the White Sox take on the Boston Red Sox Sunday, May 5th at 1.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans receive a Los White Sox soccer jersey presented by Coca-Cola. Grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola and enjoy the game to purchase tickets, whitesox.com. That's awesome. All right, coming on back here, we've got the general manager, Rick Hahn. What are we going to learn in this interview, Andy? You, you talked to him yesterday. We're going to learn a little bit about uh, what he thinks about the two gentlemen that were drafted in the first round by uh, uh, from Michigan in the NFL draft. Oh, wow. We went a little off topic at the end. All right, I, I like it. Yeah. Yes, Curtis, anything going on over there? No, you're good? Great. Rick Hahn, straight ahead, general manager of Chicago White Sox, White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Good to have you, Jerry Reinsdorf. White Sox Weekly continuing up until 5.30. And uh, Andy talked to the general manager, Rick Hahn, who, uh, of course, is a huge Michigan yes, man. Yes, he is. And so we got some uh, little little NFL talk a little coming draft up inside, here. Yeah. A little uh, reminder, though, and this is one of my favorite deals, that you can get a guaranteed rate field. Bleachers and Brews is back all season long. You get one bleacher seat. And two beers for just $22. That is a steal. You must be 21 and over and with a valid ID, sir, slash gentleman, slash lady. Bleachers and Brews, presented by Budweiser. To purchase tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash brews and enter the promo code BREW. So what do we got here, Andy? Yeah, I was sitting with him yesterday. Uh, weather was a little bit better, obviously. Uh, we were sitting in the front row of the scout seats right behind home plate. And... Uh, had a chance to cover a lot of topics, and uh, the first thing I wanted to know from General Manager Rick Hahn was his state of the Sox right now. Uh, look, there, there's a handful of things going on that are really positive right now in terms of the performances we've seen so far at the big league level. 
uh, and I'll limit it obviously to the, the big leagues, not player development or scouting and all that. If you had told me on opening day that Tim Anderson was going to get off to the type of start he got off to or Moncada was going to acclimate himself so well uh, at third base as well as offensively in terms of some of the tweaks that he made in his approach, uh, I'd be thrilled. I'd be absolutely thrilled. If you told me that Eloy was going to be performing at the level he's performing at, I would have seen that that's reasonable for a young player, you know, just learning his first time through at age 22 in the big leagues. Like, that's not, not a surprise, and that's still on track with being a, a really, really good player in the long term. Uh, Rodon taking the ball and showing some of the starts he's shown. Those are That's, again, another real positive. So you're talking about three or four young guys that we're counting on for the long term, getting off to really good starts. I, I would have been really happy with that on, on opening day. Uh, however, obviously, the, the record's not what we had hoped it would be at this point. Uh, some of the performances we've gotten out of some of the, the veterans hasn't been consistent on a day-to-day basis or consistent with what they've done in the past, uh, which is disappointing. Uh, there's been a few games where we've beaten ourselves with bad defensive plays or, or poor choices, which that stuff's a little bit more controllable and the kind of thing that it's one thing when you get beat by the other team, it's another thing when you beat yourself. And there's been a couple of games where we've beaten ourselves, which that, that, that gnaws at you. So it's been, it's been an uneven start. Again, a lot of positives for the long term, which is, again, probably probably a little more important in terms of where this organization's going uh, than those frustrations we've had along the way. But uh, overall, I'd have, have to say it's been somewhat uneven. And at the beginning of the year, you said that uh, if you won 81 games or 82 games and it was because of the veterans, you'd have to kind of look at it a little differently. You know, obviously now you're looking at the record as it is at this point, and you have gotten some good contributions. Let's talk specifically about, about Anderson, just not the fact that he's hitting the ball, playing a better shortstop, and really has evolved as a leader on this team. Yeah, all that, all that is true. I mean, he's he, we saw that in the second half of last year in terms of his defensive rhythm and what he's capable of doing over there at shortstop. Obviously, the arm and the athleticism has always been apparent in spurts, but that consistency over there really came through at the second half of last year. Uh, Additionally, from an offensive standpoint, he's taken that next step. Uh, he's always had the ability to touch a ball all over and outside of the strike zone. Uh, but now he's gotten a little bit better himself in a slightly better position to know which pitches he can really do damage on and do that damage on pitches, again, in and even slightly outside of the strike zone. Uh, the leadership side is something that we've seen internally growing for the last couple of seasons. And there's been conversations that we've had. Uh, that I personally had, including one at the end of last season, where Tim really, you know, came to me on an issue as on behalf of his teammates, as he presented it with, and he was the advocate for the other other players in that clubhouse. So it's not a surprise to see it sort of all come together right now, but it's 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 really pleasing, and and the again on sort of the trajectory that we've seen him out on for the last couple of years. And his running mate over at third base. Uh, you talked about Yohan Moncada a little bit, but specifically, how happy are you with the fact that he decided he wanted to go get some work in the offseason about it, come back up here, and be a little bit more aggressive? I, I know you guys teach patience as well, but yeah. patiently aggressive seems to kind of contradict itself, but you know, he hasn't taken as many call third strikes. No, that's true. And and I think one of the ones he did, he got a little hosed on, which isn't, uh, which isn't a shock. He got a lot of those last year, too. Uh, we had talked about all towards the end of last season and most of the offseason in terms of the raw materials that he presents with, his raw tools that he presents with. And you would much rather have a player who, if, if he were to have a fault, let's say, that fault is 
not doing enough damage on strikes as opposed to expanding out of the zone and chasing constantly. In other words, having a young player that knows a ball from a strike is a really good place to be starting with as opposed to a guy who just swings toes to nose and you're trying to teach him plate discipline at the big league level. So we knew, and obviously you saw the damage he could do when he got the pitch he was looking for or or decided, I'm going to go get this one here. So being able to sort of grow that aggressiveness and, and get him a little earlier in the count, again, not swinging at balls out of the zone or not expanding what he wants to do, but you know, again, taking that earlier pitch and, and doing damage on it that he knows he's capable of doing, that wasn't, in our minds, that onerous of a project. Uh, again, because of how gifted this player is. So to see him do that is, is and do it quickly is very impressive to me. At the same time, this is sort of the player we were hoping that he would turn into, uh, so it's not a shock, I guess I should say. Let's turn a little bit to the pitching, too, because uh, I'm sure you're not exactly pleased with what the starters have given you as far as depth into a ball game, and it's really kind of created some situations that you've had to deal with as far as the bullpen is concerned. Uh, You do have some young guys out there still that are trying to feel their way through. What is your assessment? Uh, Again, you're you're right. There's been some frustration with with the consistency of the rotation uh you know the bullpen's been for the most part pretty solid especially at the back end and uh jace fry has added to that nate jones has added to that over the last couple of weeks where they scuffled a little bit early uh you saw us today make a move with santana because we weren't quite getting that consistency that we wanted out of a veteran that's why he was here was to help stabilize that rotation and unfortunately we weren't really getting that out of him uh the young guys you expect it to be a little more erratic uh again we we would love for uh lopez to give us you know six seven strong every time out we're going to see that at points over the course of the summer and unfortunately you're probably still going to see a few growing pains on these young guys as they they grow into themselves at the other extreme on the, on the veteran side there's you know that's not really what we're looking for, and that doesn't fit in terms of what we're growing for the long term. So we decided to make the move with Santana and give a, give another young guy in Manny Benuelos the chance to every fifth day for the near future or hopefully the rest of the season show us what he's capable of doing as a starter. Yeah, as you go through with a rebuild, there's, there's guys along the way that pop up that you thought, well, oh, okay, let's give this guy a shot. And Benuelos seemed to be that guy during spring training and now even here in the first part of the regular season. Yeah, you know, obviously Manny uh, – coincidentally years ago was a top prospect when he was with the Yankees and uh, he unfortunately for him had some injury issues along the way and and last year when he was in AAA with the Dodgers was really the first year in a in a little while where he sort of looked more like the prospect he was say five six years ago and uh, one of our scouts actually Billy Young uh, when when Dan Fabian circulated the list to all our, our pro scouts of who was impending six-year free agents last year, meaning minor league free agents last year, uh, Yogi, Bill Young, called and said, hey, Ben Welos is a guy who can help us at the big leagues now. He's much closer to being the player he used to be than the one we've seen in the last couple of years, and uh, he's someone that you know I wouldn't even let become a minor league free agent, so you'd have to compete with all 30 teams, but he'd be a guy I'd try to get and add to his uh, to our 40-man. Uh, and we, we agreed with Yogi's assessment and went out and made a small trade with the Dodgers for him and immediately add him to our 40 because we thought he, he could potentially help us. But you're absolutely right. It's not always going to be uh, the most well-known guys. It's not always necessarily going to be the Moncadas and Eloys and Kopecks and Ceases and 
list goes on of the more more well-known prospects that we have. But over the course of this, there's going to be a few interesting surprises along the way, too. More of the general manager, Rick Hahn, coming up right after a quick timeout. A reminder, head to the ballpark for Dollar Hot Dogs every Wednesday home game this season. Take advantage of this unbeatable deal on Wednesday, May 1st. Sox taking on the Orioles at 7, 10 p.m. It's brought to you by Securian Financial who can help you make every moment count. Find out more at Securian.com. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Dollar Dogs. Today, more with Andy and Rick Hahn coming right up, 720 WGN. As White Sox Weekly rolls on, more of my conversation with the general manager of the Chicago White Sox, Rick Hahn. I was curious uh, to get his thoughts about this point in the rebuild, if his decisions on players are quicker or if he's going to let them develop a little bit. Development is still king. That that's still going to be of the utmost importance. So, you know, for example, just because a a spot in the rotation opens with Santana moved out, we're not going to bring Dylan Cease here, for example, because it's not in Dylan's best interest in terms of his development uh, to necessarily be here yet. Uh, so, development is still going to be over, you know, the ultimate wins and losses and again it's difficult you hear me sort of hesitating on that a little bit because you know we're all competitive i see how hard ricky and the coaches and the players work each day i watch all these games i attend you know just about all of them and you want to win you want to win as much as possible in the end development's gonna gonna still trump that now we're transitioning to a team that understandably and deservedly has slightly higher expectations and certainly in the coming months and years we're going to be a team that expects to win uh and then the patience is going to be a little shorter for guys whose development may not be moving along at the pace you want right now you look Ronaldo Lopez is benefiting from being getting the ball every fifth day and learning from whatever mistakes he may be making uh you know Giolito before the injury was really progressing nicely and you want him to we're going to wait for him to be fully healthy before we put him back out there, but we're eager to get him back out there because it's going to help us win more ball games. And it's not like because a guy disappears for, say, five, four months, whatever, he's not still on your radar a little bit. And I guess the guy that I'm really specifically talking about is Carson Fulmer, who had some struggles when, uh, when he was here last year, and now you've brought him back in a little bit of a different role. And he seems to have really accepted that role and, and kind of flourished, except for maybe one of the outings so far. No, that's very true. And, and as, as a general rule, you, you don't want to certainly write off anyone who has the talent and the makeup and the work ethic to, to contribute to a championship. Uh, in a specific or more granular situation, you know, with Carson, uh, he obviously took his lumps as a starter last year and, and really needed to sort of hit the reset which he was able to do this offseason put a put a underachieving season behind him and sort of readdress who he was and what he was trying to accomplish as a pitcher and make some mild changes mechanically frankly if anything he's gone back more towards what he did in college when he we had greater success uh which he's been able to translate to success in shorter spurts at the big league level which is great you know he he is uh showing himself as as being fully capable of playing a role on a on a really good team, which which again, and if and if that rolls for like really well for like the next six weeks, and then there's a, some hiccups along the way, that's not necessarily shocking, uh, but certainly isn't going to lead to you giving up in any way on, on that guy's upside. All right, speaking of development too, um, the outfield situation that you guys have developed now between Double A and and Single A, you got Luis Robert. Of course, everybody's licking their chops at the way he got off to the great start. Uh, that, that's got to make you feel really good, at least going forward, knowing that you have guys you can go down and get. But at the same time, you can kind of relax and let them develop. 
Yeah, that's the, the, the outfield situation is one where you look at the long term and you feel really good about where this is headed. Uh, it doesn't necessarily serve us much in the short term. Uh, we've already mentioned, you know, Polka struggled early and now Ryan Cordell, another young guy, not perhaps of the same uh, prospect stature as some of the names you mentioned uh, or the guys running around double A and A ball right now. But another young guy gets an opportunity to show what he can do. Uh, in the coming years, it's going to get a lot more crowded with, in terms of premium-type guys that can help this team win. Uh, you know, Chris Getz, our head of player development, and I had a long conversation yesterday about you know some of the ripple effect of, of some potential moves here in the coming weeks with, with some of these young guys. In, in Kannapolis, a guy like Steele Walker, our second-round pick last year, is off to a tremendous start. You mentioned Luis Robert and A-ball. Uh, Luis Basabi is coming off of his hamate injury and, and rehabbing in Kannapolis and soon will be ready for Birmingham as well. And that, that's going to not only create a little bit of, of crowd, a little bit of competition, and uh, guys are going to get moved to different opportunities. So it, it's it's going to be exciting as that gets closer and closer to Chicago. And quite frankly, we're going to have some choices to make at some point here about, okay, these, you know, three, four, five guys are guys that we view as, you know, premium types that are capable of helping us win a championship in Chicago. And, and these, you know, three, four, five guys, you know, perhaps are more better served to us as trade assets to address other needs. I'm glad you mentioned Chris Getz. I wanted to try to talk real quick about the draft coming up. Um, I mean, this this part of the, re, the, the, uh, the rebuild, does it force you to kind of change anything as far as philosophy with who you might pick in that first in, with your first selection? Not really, no. I, it, it's tough. This isn't this isn't the NBA and this isn't the NFL where you can expect a guy to go from the collegiate ranks and help you immediately. So in general, you rarely see teams draft for need per se, uh, especially with us picking number three in June. Uh, we're going to look for the the most impactful talent, and and that's look that sounds like a cliche, but the fact of the matter is is unfortunately certainly I know I'm not, and not many people around here probably are smart enough to know exactly what this team's going to look like in two three years or where exactly you know a potential injury or underperformance is going to happen. So therefore, we're going to have a need here. So it'd be foolish to pass on say a a premium middle infielder because you say well shoot we already got Ta we got Madrigal let's stay away from the middle infield. Still doesn't take away from how great you feel about those guys, but if all of a sudden we have too many, you know, middle infield talents that are capable of winning championships, that's a good problem to have, and, and I look forward to us trying to parcel through how to, to allocate all that talent. All right, you mentioned the NFL. I've got two for you here. I mean, obviously I know that you're a Michigan guy. You had to be pretty happy with the first round, the way things went with uh, with Bush and Gary, although Gary, Gary goes to the Packers. Gary, Gary went to the Packers. Uh, Gary went to the Packers, which, you know, that, 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 that I can't disown him because, you know, he's still, you know, still a Michigan man, as Bo would say. Uh, but, yeah, my, my sons and I were waiting to see where the, where the Michigan guys would go last night, and when one of them wound up in Green Bay, that, that might have to just get a little distance, a <laughs> little distance for the early part of his career at least. Yeah, don't disown him. Just cool on him a little exactly. bit, right? Okay. Exactly. All right, so here's the, the big hypothetical, and let, let's pretend that, all the rules of baseball as they are right now in the draft are thrown out the window. Okay. And you're Ryan Pace, and you get a chance to acquire the Cleo Mack of baseball, oh, and you man. give up your first two picks for the next two years. Is that something you do? 
Yeah, in a heartbeat. They did. They look. Ryan and, and the staff over there did a tremendous job. They changed. You know, it, it goes beyond just Mac, but Mac was obviously a big, big part of changing the identity of that. Certainly, that defense and that in, entire team, and and was able to accelerate their their timeline really in terms of being championship Super Bowl contenders, which is what it's all about. So, uh, yeah, you don't have that luxury in, in baseball. It'd be it'd be very interesting to see if you could all of a sudden package, you know three, four, five picks over the course of years in order to acquire a certain talent. It would certainly change the face of uh, a lot of rebuilds and how teams approached it. But, you know, that's that that's just a hypothetical right now. So all I can do is, is sit on the sideline like any other Bear fan and, and certainly be appreciative of what they've accomplished over there. All right, so I'll leave you with that hypothetical, and thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. Absolutely happy to do it. General Manager Rick Hahn. Big Bears fan, man. Huge Bears fan. It's tough, man, when you're when you're, when you're – well, first of all, is it hard for you, Michael, just to hear all that Michigan stuff? I mean, I, yeah, I, it, 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 I know. Yeah, they're really hard. <laughs> Being a Big Ten guy at Northwestern, there was only one team that kind of always got to me, and that was <laughs> Big Blue. Really? Yeah. You didn't hate Ohio State, too? Because I have no, a. No, no, no. But, I mean, we it, when I was at Northwestern, we got to the Big Ten finals, uh, double elimination. We had beaten them once in Michigan. They beat us once. They beat us in, in the championship game. They had the shortstop, Barry Larkin. He, he was, was, was kind of yeah. good. He sucked. And then I ended up getting drafted and having to play with a guy from Michigan, and he could not stop showing me the Big Ten championship uh, ring. Ooh. And it just, I'm ooh. like, okay, Mike, enough. And by the end of the summer, I'm like, I'm done with Michigan. So, you know, that right there. Yeah, that's a good reason. Bench clearing brawl, fully endorsed. That's And he's a teammate. I almost <laughs> took him down once, and he's a teammate. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Ron Kittle is coming up after 4.30. We'll get you checking news. White Sox Weekly till 5.30 on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly rolling along here on 720 WGN. Sox game has been snowed out tonight in case you missed that one. I would have played. Come on, this would have been fun. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'd have been sitting in a booth, so what do I care Day night. Just kidding. I played in one like this. I'm did sure you? you? Did University of Wisconsin. The last year they had baseball. We had to play a doubleheader because their field was underwater in Beloit. And the first day of the doubleheader, fourth inning, I I'm whistling, screaming at the umpire, and finally he, the guy from second, comes out, and I said, I just, I just have a quick question for it. And he, what? We're trying to get this game in. We're almost there. I'm like, turn around and, and can you see home plate? And he's like. No, I said, neither can I. Can we please stop it? So we ended up picking it up and playing two more on Sunday. Played a triple header on Sunday. It's that's amazing. That's a good job right there. Michael Hoff in studio with us as we've been talking about the White Sox camps and their academy. And uh, now we have a special guest on the line who uh, we have a lot of conversation to have with you today, Ron Kittle. Great to have Kitty on the radio as always. <laughs> Hey, I only get to come on when the game gets snowed out. Is that right? Is that what we're looking at? That's not fair. We've had you out a bunch, Ron Kittle, but maybe maybe going forward that could be a thing. When it snows, we call Kitty. <laughs> no, everything's doing good. I'm out here in Morris, Illinois, uh, getting ready to, to do a speaking event at a, uh, what do you want? they call it a gala for Basset Hounds, and uh, they've got a pretty good group of people out here. I saw you made a new bench, right? You got a, You got a new product out there. Yep, this one is a White Sox one. As a matter of fact, there's two of them. I didn't have to bring both of them tonight, but uh, a north side and a south side bench, and it'll be auctioned off tonight for this uh, great cause. And these people have, uh, you know, they worked hard to keep their basset hounds and other pets uh, in family homes. That's a beautiful thing. I, the uh, If you want to buy online, Kitty, how do you do that for the benches? 
just go to ronkittle.com, and uh, every bit of information about me is there. Some of it's even scary, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's all online. <laughs> Hey, kid, yeah, I want to ask you a quick question about uh, the game today. Uh, we, you know, we, not just the game that snowed out today, but just in general. Uh, you know, we saw Tim Anderson the other day uh, flip the bat after a home run, and he did it again last night. But he did it toward the the White Sox dugout, and you hit so many home runs in your career. Did you ever flip the bat? And what do you think of all that stuff these days? You, you know what? Times have changed. I was scared to flip a bat because my own teammates would probably uh, pound it on me, let alone my father. So, and you know. Not to brag, I, I think I've hit baseballs farther than anybody who's ever played the game. And I ran as hard as I could. And my teammates used to say, hey, slow down, enjoy it a little bit. Uh, you know, with my luck uh, that I've had in my career, it might have hit a pigeon or something and fell back in play. But, uh, you know, to, 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 to win a ball game, you can get a little bit more excited. I think Timmy uh, jumped the gun the last time and he got drilled. And if he was playing in the 80s, and Mike Tuff could tell you this, uh, you would have got drilled immediately the next at bat. And you'd have walked to first, and you hope to steal it. And if not, you, again, it's over and done with. I mean, we talked about yeah. that earlier, Kit Kat. It, 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 the players took care of each other. And, and once it was done, you just moved on, and there was no more retaliation, and no other people got hit. Yeah, you know, I broke up a no-hitter from Nolan Ryan one time uh, at home in Chicago. We faced him in Texas, and he drilled me my first at bat and it stuck in my bicep in 90, I think in 90 or, yeah, 90. And I picked it up like an apple, and I flipped it back to him, and I went to first base, and Palmero goes, uh, he's right behind you. Don't say nothing really bad, you know. And uh, it, it's just mutual respect. I didn't try to break up his no-hitter. I just tried to hit the ball. And uh, unfortunately, I did, and the uh, consequences uh, was in my bicep. See, but isn't that wrong? You weren't doing anything, and Nolan Ryan's got to get all, I'm going to drill round kill because he got a hit. I, I, I can't agree with that, Kitty. Well, you know, the, the rest of the ball game was a storyline. He was winning two to nothing, and myself, Harold Baines, and Ivan Calderon hit back-to-back-to-back home runs, and we beat him three to two. So, uh, you know, paybacks uh, yeah. you know, came mm-hmm. back to haunt him. Yeah, that's good stuff. So you you and you and Michael were I, – I, Michael, weren't you telling me you guys were in spring training spring with the Indians? Spring training with the Indians. I was telling the story, Kit Kat, about how well you did that spring leading the team and leading the whole Arizona League in uh, – what was it? Was it batting average or home runs? Batting average, home runs, and RBIs. And what happened and at the end of spring training? And he walked up to me. He go, uh, The manager goes, you know, our team's not going to be really good. We're going to be – letting you go. And I go, oh, my goodness gracious. And uh, I, I couldn't have had a better spring. I worked hard for it coming back from injuries. And uh, you know, I just tipped my hat. You know, it, it, it's a business, and I understand. And I think that year the Indians, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, they lost 104 games. Yeah, we, and, we, uh, were, not, we were not good. No. <laughs> you know, but, it, you know, but I, I proved myself. And I had a chance to go play with a couple other teams. But I, I was still having issues with my shoulder and my neck. And uh, it was just really hard to come back into the game again. I want to ask you guys about uh, Eloy Jimenez and, and what you're seeing early with him. But also, he uh, sprained his ankle last night going back on a ball, jumped, yeah. jumped into the fence. And I don't know where everybody comes out on this, and this is a little bit of my hot take of the day. But part of me is like, don't play hard. There's 162 games. If you crash into walls, you take yourself out for a month. It, you're you're actually hurting the ball club. I know that that's a very nuanced conversation. Like, should you should you be people want to see fans, uh, baseball players, whatever they want to see guys sprinting to first base and going into walls. But 
half the time you bad things end up happening. I don't know where you come out on all this, Kittle, but uh, Ron. But huh. you, you know, it's it's it, there's a conversation there. I know that there's, I'm trying to get somewhere here. Well, my second year, '84, after uh, my rookie year, I jumped for a, a home run ball by Don Baylor, and I hit the brick ledge in Old Comiskey Park. You know where the patio was, and I dislocated my shoulder. I wasn't trying to do nothing spectacular. I was just trying to make a catch. I think uh, if he would have set himself up to the fence, to the wall a little closer, uh, he could have just jumped straight up. He jumped awkwardly. I don't know how his foot got up there. I think he saw too many highlight films of uh, great catches in the last past 20 years uh, and tried to do it. And unfortunately, he he might not have that uh, athleticism to do that kind of stuff. But, you know, he's hurt. But we need him healthy. Uh, I probably would have stayed in the game with a sprained ankle because my speed wasn't going to be my positive thing in the game. But, uh, like, the game has changed. They want to see highlight films of themselves. And for the record, I'm not blaming Lloyd for playing hard, but but there's also, like, I I think there's some coaching and and learning experience going along here, Michael. Well, I I think Ron said it best. There's And you just said it as well, Mark. There's a a, a coaching and a learning experience. As the Eloy Jimenez, who is more like a Ron Kittle than Mike Huff, Mike more a lot more like Adam Engel. Um, what you have to understand your strengths and your weaknesses, and one of your strengths, if not the biggest strength, is your bat and the potential of getting a hundred and fifty plus games this year, six hundred at bat. So, understanding the defense is what the challenge is in your game. You should be thinking: How do I work Daryl Boston as often as I can? How do I play when I can feel on my feet? I'm on the grass. And then as soon as I start to hear the chink, chink, chink of the warning track, I need to be smart enough to start to say, okay, I'm not going to be robbing home runs necessarily, and let me now play within my ability. Well well said. You know, it's just experience. But nobody works on fly balls right at the fence, jumping over, unless you're just doing it horsing around. But, uh, you know, it was a freaky thing, and uh, freaky accidents can – Hurt the team in the long run, and we do need him in there swinging the bat. And uh, you know, you got to knock in more than you let in. So that's going to be his uh, theory. Let me ask you guys both, uh, because you know Jimenez came up with so much expected of him, and you know guys try to live up to that sometimes, especially a new contract that a young kid uh, basically signs. And you, I guess you can't excuse youthful exuberance every once in a while, but there is a difference between when you guys came up and learned the fundamentals and knew how to play the outfield and knew how to play the infield and new situational baseball. It's a little bit different this day, isn't it? Well, absolutely. you got to know the ballpark, too. I mean, when I came up, the brick wall was, was it, 9, 10 feet? Nobody went over the top to rob a home run. Uh, nowadays, you can reach over and snatch it from any from foul pole to foul pole. And you just, you just need to learn the game and to learn the, the field that you're playing at. I, I mean, Mike was an outstanding outfielder, uh, you know, he knew what was going on, but he played it his whole career. Me, I just wanted out there my first day, day in the big league, said, you're a left fielder, you know, after catching and playing first base my whole life. But you, you learn, and uh, I, I learned not to crash in the wall anymore. Well, the other thing, Kit Kat, is when we were coming up, you rarely saw guys jumping two levels or three levels. You went to rookie ball, and if you did well, you went to A, and if you did well, you went to double A, which meant there was instruction league. There was winter ball. There was so much more instruction, I think, when we were playing around. And, and tell me if you disagree with this. But, again, when you're 21 and all of a sudden you're in the big leagues, yeah, there are certain parts of your game that can play at this level. But there's also parts that, again, we hear it all the time, they have to develop at the major league level. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and he's going to play cautious from now on, which is probably the worst thing that's going to happen out there. So some Daryl Boston is going to have to get on him and say, hey, 
get to the wall first, find yourself, you know, if it comes in shallow, rush and get it. If not, just wait there and jump straight up. But uh, you, you know he's going to play cautious. Anytime you injure yourself, uh, it, it, it hurts you in the long run until you get over that fear factor. Kenny, what are your thoughts? Let's go also around the diamond here. What are your thoughts on the way Yohan Makata is playing over at third base? Uh, I, I like him there. I, you know, I, I like the guy, period, to play. Uh, last year was an experiment. He took a lot of pitches. This year he's swinging the bat, and he's hitting some of these balls. I like the young White Sox team. I, I mean, that's, uh, I don't sit there and watch it. Like last night, I was too busy watching Thor in the end game uh, <laughs> <laughs> instead of watching the 12-11 win. <laughs> but I came home and I caught the ending of it. And, uh, it, yeah, they're excited. Ricky's boys, they play hard, and uh, they play to the very end. And I've seen over the years, the teams I've been in, they would uh, other teams would have gave up. They didn't. They just went out there and competed and won a ball game. Talk a little bit about that, too, because with Moncada, last year he was taking a lot of called third strikes. This year it's a little bit of a different situation from both sides of the plate. He's actually uh, improved a lot from the right side as well. Well, when you're a young kid coming up, the umpires want to make sure they uh, know you're, they're in charge, not you. I mean, last year I saw him get called out on some pitches that, that were just foolish. But, uh, you know, he did a good job uh, not speaking his mind. This year he's going up there with a little bit more confidence. Umpires are believing in his ability, and he's going to get a, a break on pitches now and then. But, uh, you know, he's hitting the ball hard. Just let him keep on playing out there. I like what's going on. Uh, Yomer Sanchez is one of my favorite players on the team. Like, the guy just brings excitement. Uh, I know if he's not hitting good, his defense is going to battle a little bit. But uh, now he's getting a few hits and making some great plays. And uh, he, he's in the ball game. And I know he's the first one there with a five-gallon bucket of Gatorade when you win a ball game. Dumping it out himself. Yeah, we talk about Moncada. Uh, like you, Kit Kat, I love the fact that now at third base, he can just use that raw athleticism that he has and react to the ball that's hidden at him because it's coming at him so quickly, and he doesn't have time to think about it. And with that, he's just he just looks more comfortable, looks more natural. And like you said, I love his new approach at the plate of, okay, last year I was kind of learning, been here now, been there, done it, got the T-shirt, so now let me start to get a little bit more aggressive. Whatever Todd talked to him about over the offseason, I, I like it as well. Yeah, you don't have time to think at third base. It's all reaction. He's doing a good job on it. It's a long year. Uh, like today is an off day with the snow out there. It might do him well to get everybody just feeling good again. Uh, I was in Baltimore, watched three games. Uh, fun time. I mean, they, they won one. They got tally whacked two games. But, uh, you know, other teams are going to win too. But I like the way they're playing. I, I like the infield, to tell you the truth, for the Sox. And uh, they're only going to get better the more games they play together. RonKittle.com, if you want to check out the bats, and you're down where? Morris, Illinois today? Is that what you said? Morris, Illinois. I, I, you know, Last time I did a speaking event uh, in Illinois that started with an M, I got hustled by a lady in bib overalls at 2 o'clock in the morning with Roland Eamon. And... Uh, <laughs> That was in 1983, and uh, this lady, and I was scared to leave because I thought she might beat me up. <laughs> Kitty, you're the best. Good, good luck Thanks, today. Do, do well. We appreciate you. All right. Talk to you guys soon. See you guys. Ron Bye. Kittle, Chicago White Sox, ronkittle.com. I want, I want to talk to you guys coming back here. About uh, Morris, Illinois? Well, Chicago legend, Ron okay. Kittle. Yeah. That's exactly right. I, I actually want to talk to you about umpires uh, and, and where we're, we're headed. 
because uh, technology keeps on getting better. I see you making a face over there, Michael Huff. I, I, uh, I can, we, can we talk about Joe West specifically? We, sure. And, and well, he's back, my favorite. Well, back in the day, I, I'm sure there was many flamboyant umpires who uh, were calling balls and strikes when Michael Huff was at the dish. So there's, uh, I, well, let's have a little fun with that coming on back here. 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Andy Mazur in studio. I'm Mark Carmen. Michael Huff, former White Sox, working with... White Sox camps in uh, the studio as well. Bears are on the clock as we've been monitoring the draft as well today. We had a little special draft uh, deal. And Adam Hogue will be with us after White Sox Weekly at 530. But just to update you on the Bears real fast, because I know White Sox fans love the Bears. I knew the GM. This one does. Yeah. (laughs) Kareth White was the last Bears pick in the seventh round, number 222 overall out of Florida Atlantic. Another running back. Andy, I know you got the goods on him. We'll get to that in a second. Let me give you the rest of this. Kansas State cornerback Duke Shelley was number 205 overall in the sixth round. And before that, Riley Ridley, uh, the receiver out of Georgia. And then the running back all the way back in the third round, uh, David Montgomery. So there's that gets you caught up, and we'll see. And they just picked Steven Denmark, cornerback, Valdosta State. Ooh, uh, what's I, the what's the nickname of Valdosta State? Do we know the Generals? I'm, I'm, I making, no clue. I'm, I'm guessing on that. I'm just one. asking. Any? What you guys excited about the draft? What do we got here? Any 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 uh, any reactions to a well, Kenneth White? Well, I mean, they say he's got a little breakaway speed there, but uh, you know, you look at the NFL draft. It's it's as Rick Hunt was telling me, you know, earlier uh, yesterday during the conversation you heard earlier. It's so different to draft in the NFL than it is in in Major League Baseball and other drafts because you're expecting these guys to get on the field and help you immediately in the NFL. But in, you know, Mike, as you know, I mean, and when you get drafted in the big leagues, you may you may not like your position the first time, go back into the draft, and then you know, kind of wind your way through and and hope to get there. Yeah, I, I think Kyler Murray was thinking about that as well, as people kept saying you might be higher and higher in the first round. It's like you know what. Even I bet if you go back historically and look at the last from three years ago to 13 years ago, that 10 year period, I bet only half of the first rounders made it to the major leagues. So it doesn't matter if you're a first rounder by Oakland, you still are 50 50 to get there because it's so difficult. And you were the 16th round, correct? Very good. Yes. A Leo to a Leo right there. <laughs> August 11th, August 11th. Yes. 16th me. round. What? Describe the emotions as a young Michael Huff, you're in, and the name gets called 16th round. Were you expecting to be drafted? Were you pissed at that point? Were you like, what the hell's going on? Or were you like, oh, my God, thank God. I thought I was going to go in the 88th round. Well, I, uh, How many rounds were there back then, 42? <laughs> something no, like I, that? Think, I think There's it went as long as you wanted, yeah. but for the most part, everyone, the vast majority of teams stopped around the 30th okay. to 35th, but teams were allowed to keep drafting if they wanted to. Um Honestly, but my junior year, I remember my coach coming up to me and saying, you know, Mike, you have a chance to get drafted this year. And I looked at him right in the eye, dead face, and I'm like, there's no wars going on, coach. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, no, no. like in baseball. I'm like, I'm not really that good. I mean, we have Joe Girardi. We have John Troutwine. We have Tom Hildebrand. We have these great players. And he's like, no, but for what you do, getting on stealing bases, playing a good defense, you know, w- would you be interested in getting drafted? And that was the first time I thought about it. Um, my junior year, I had talked to a couple teams, and when they said, hey, what do you think you would want? And I kind of said X dollars. They're like, well, how about Y? And I'm like, well, Y sounds good, but I need Y plus because I have one more year at Northwestern. And they're like, okay, we don't think you're worth Y plus. So I'm like, all right, let me go back. So senior year, I really thought senior outfielder, eh, 
you know, 30th round, 25th round, if I get drafted. So I'm out with my family and some friends and all of a sudden the, the phone, someone's like, Hey, you know, your mom and dad are looking for you. I'm like, what the heck for? And they're like, you got drafted. I'm like, what already? <laughs> 16th round. I'm like, thank you very much. So I was really, really excited. That's awesome. That's good. That's good stuff. Uh, we, we, uh, we were, by the way, the Valdosta stage. It's are, the Blazers. It's the Blazers. Yeah, right. I looked it up. Circling back to what we were talking about before the break, as far as umpires go, there's, a movement, at least a little bit of one that, hey, let's get rid of the home plate umpire and have robots calling balls and strikes. I personally would have no problem with that. Let's get the strike zone correct. You don't get to create your own strike zone. However, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, you, We were talking during the week about how certain umpires, they want to be the show back there. Yeah, they think oh, they're gosh, actually yeah. part of the game. I know that yep. bothered you. Oh, again, back in those 90s, there were... There were probably a half dozen, both in the National League and the American League, that if you ask them, what do you think fans want when they come to the ballpark? They're like, well, they want to see us as much as they want to see the player. And and you would look at them sideways like, no, 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 you do your job if nobody knows you're there. So be quiet and, and, and just do your job. And you made a good point. If there was an umpire that would make a bad call on you, either running through first base, sliding into second, or just balls and strikes, and they gave the three hop on the right foot, ah, 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 so all the fans were looking at him, and then you look at a video the next day or a highlight, and, and they were wrong, the next day, if you turned and looked at that guy on any questionable, he would almost throw you out of the game. Yeah. So you had no no chance to, to, to try to even come back at them. So it was so frustrating as a player. Yeah. Hated it. Because it's all about showing up, and that's what they worry about. They worry about being shown up by the player, but then they have no problem doing it the other way. And because that's crazy. They it's crazy have time. the authority. The other thing was, again, your point, uh, and again, tip your cap to Maddox or Glavin or Smoltz, but when you know Charlie O'Brien would start to sit up six inches outside and they'd hit the glove, it would be a strike. It's three more inches, he hit the glove, it'd be a strike. I, I remember one time in spring training, look at the umpire and saying, I, I can use a bat paddle, or I mean, a, a boat oar, and I can't hit that. That's so far outside. And he's like, well, Mike, he's hitting the glove. And I'm like, that's not over the plate. Yeah. So to your point, that you know, to have that moving zone, and then for the umpires, it's really, really difficult when you have that moving zone to be consistent to both teams. Right. So, to, yeah. So, so real quick, uh, when I was in San Diego, our pitching coach, uh, Darren Balsley, who was, a, was a, a great pitching coach, suggested that the umpires, instead of using the robots, he thought that the umpires should be standing behind the pitcher because you get a better view from behind the pitcher where the ball is, not only in relation to the plate, but high, low, in, and out. And he thought that they get they, it's such a disadvantage to have them behind the plate because you really can't tell sometimes if a catcher is six feet five inches tall and the umpire is like five ten, even when he's crouched down, you can't get a real good look. And you set up on the inside, it's hard to see where the outside of the plate is. If you stand behind the pitcher, you can get a great uh, clear view. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. The, the only challenge is that the umpires will always come back and say, "Well, from behind the catcher, I am two feet away from the zone. From behind the pitcher, I'm sixty mm -hmm. feet." But to your point, I, you know, the only time I would ever question is the inside because I, as that ball came in, I could almost follow it inside. I could see it off the plate. Outside, I know it's outside, but I, I, it's hard for me, right. you know, to turn around and say, "Hey, that ball's off the plate." He's like, "How the hell do you know?" <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're kind of right. I really don't. Real fast, who's the one umpire if you saw him right now walking down the street, you wouldn't say hello? Oh, 
I wouldn't say hello, probably. Or at least try to cross um, over to the other side and help that he didn't see you. Maybe if you crossed him, you'd say hello. Ed Brinkman. Ed Brinkman would be the one. Got he, you, he Ed. Was, yeah, he was, a, he was a tough one. And I love that. All right, Michael Huffson Studio. we got a half hour more of White Sox Weekly. Fun stuff for you coming up right after 5 o'clock. We do have to take a real quick time out. News in 2, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, this is 720 WGN with you till 530. Michael Huffin Studio, Andy Mazur. And yours truly, Mark Carmen. A reminder that Family Sundays feature tickets as low as $5 in the upper level. Let me say that again. $5 in the upper level. $15 in the lower level. Let me say that again. $15 in the lower level. Parking for only $10. Plus, you could, you know, hey, take the train out there, too. CTA does a nice job. Great deal all around. Plus, special family-focused activities located throughout the ballpark. Family Sundays proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola and enjoy the game. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. Okay, I need Mike to take off his headphones for this one, okay? Calling all Illini alumni and fans. Uh-huh. Join us on Thursday, May 2nd, as the White Sox take on the Red Sox at 710. Purchase this ticket package to receive a co-branded White Sox Illini jersey and the chance to watch BP before the gates open. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash Illini. We were talking during the break about umpires and about just being a professional baseball player, period. And for a guy like you, Michael, who's battling to stay in the big leagues, you're, you're not Barry Bonds, you're not Frank Thomas, and you get uh, you know maybe eight at-bats in a week, and some umpire's having a bad day, and he's calling strikes that are – or calling balls that are strikes or vice versa – impacting your livelihood and then it, it makes me think about like a guy like Nicky Delmonico who's, who's who just came back up and that was down in AAA and Daniel Polka all these you know there's the glamour of the guy who's there but then there's also the life of like my whole livelihood is on the line every single day and you're playing you're playing against dudes who are really 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 good at the game trying to stay there too it ain't easy no it's not easy as you said and and it's it's one of those things that you know it's a part of the game. You're going to have nine guys, ten guys that are pretty regular, but every team needs those two or three guys on the bench, the two or three long relievers that when they have their times and when they get that one game a week to play, that's where you're really hopeful as a positional player that the umpires are having a good day and that they're they're consistent with their balls and strikes. And, and again, that, that line drive up the middle that the shortstop stabs and somehow manages to throw to first, you beat it by a half a step but that he doesn't call you out and then the next day comes up and says oh you know I think I might have missed that call did you in, in, enjoy playing or did it feel like your whole life was on the line every day like I can imagine being there and it's so awesome but there's like so much pressure um I would say there was moments of really enjoying it and I wish I could have reveled and, and just realized how special it was um, that first year in 91 with Cleveland getting a chance to play pretty regularly, uh, 92 uh, with the White Sox being the opening day right fielder before an injury, and then 94 up in Toronto the year I hit 300, um, and you're playing every day, there is definitely a different mindset when you know you're going to be out there and you know you're going to be playing every day versus that guy on the bench that you know you have a role. And guess what? If you don't do that role well, there's another 35 guys drafted this year, and there's another 35 guys drafted the year before that are just waiting to take that opportunity. And that brings me to my point, because as a player, you had to go through that. You had to go through the single-A, double-A, triple-A, back to the big leagues, and and live in that constant fear of not performing and not uh, living up to the expectations of the organization and then getting sent down. My pipe dream for the umpire situation would be (laughs) to have a GM over the umpires, because you had a GM calling the shots uh, for your life, basically, 
hey, Mike, you're not getting it done. We're sending you down. Uh, we're not doesn't gonna, mean you can't come yeah, back. Doesn't mean you're not going to be back, but we, we're going to send you, you down. Work on a few things. Exactly. And here's what you got to work exactly. on. Exactly. Now, if you're an umpire, I'll just pick one randomly. C.B. Buckner, who can't call a ball from a strike if his life depended on it. He's still up there taking a big league check away from a guy who's hustling his rear end off in AAA. But I get it. I mean, the union is very, very strong right now, and it's it'd be very difficult to employ that. But, you know, you wonder, and I don't know if an umpire would ever give you an honest answer to this, if they get a little complacent. Because they look around, and, you know, they're they're in a big league ballpark every day. They're getting their, their major league money. They're getting their great travel. Yeah, I know they don't have home games and that kind of thing, but they get vacations now during the season. I mean, I wonder if that just kind of plays into the plays into the whole thing. Well, I'm not sure if it's complacency, but I, there is something to be said for when you see a player or someone get a five, six, seven year deal that that intensity isn't going to be the same all five, six, seven years. Um, we also talked about this, and I totally agree with you, Andy. If you could have a GM of umpires, he would have to be or she would have to be in charge of the umpires at the major league level as well as the minor mm -hmm. league level. And be able to say, almost like the, in soccer over in Europe, that the top 3% in AAA or the top 5% in AAA are coming to the majors and the worst 3% or worst 5% are going to the minors with an understanding. C.B. Buckner, you yeah. are great on the bases. You call everyone out or safe when they're stealing, which is incredibly difficult. But you struggle with the outside strike. You're going back to AAA this year, and I need you to work on that outside strike because if you can rate out in AAA – you're going to be back here the next year. And I understand. And people are going to say, oh, it's not an easy job. I get that. It's not an easy job. Neither is a major league but ball neither, player. I was just going to say, neither <laughs> is it getting to the big leagues because it, it, it takes a process. There are so few players that get to that level and are automatically keepers. You know, I mean, there, there's a, a very small percentage of that. And, yeah, you know what? For all the bad we see with umpires, there's a lot of really good ones that kind of get lost in the shuffle because they get lumped in with the rest of the guys. We're getting a, a little bit short on time or White Sox Weekly at the bottom of the hour, so I just, uh, it will end at the bottom of the hour. I want to just get a little bit of the stuff that's going on on the field mm -hmm. this week. Uh, Irvin Santana uh, got released. Yeah. I don't know if you guys were surprised by that. Uh, he, he obviously was not pitching particularly well, guy coming back from an injury. So that was a disappointment that it didn't work out. But uh, your thoughts, Michael, on the fact that yeah, White Sox I, moving on? I, I think the surprise was that he struggled as much as he did. I mean, to have success and to be in the major leagues that long, you don't expect that quick a drop-off, even with an injury. Yeah, and this kind of illustrates the point that uh, Rickon was making earlier about the fact that it's all about development now. And if a guy is a veteran who's supposed to be in the clubhouse you know, helping guys, and maybe he still was. I mean, even if he wasn't performing, he still is a veteran pitcher that has been an all-star before and been in the postseason. But this clears a spot now for a guy like Manny Banuelos to prove whether or not he belongs at this point, because as, as Rick Hunt told us, just because there's an opening doesn't mean Dylan Cease is coming up right now because they want him to develop. How long do you guys think the, the leash is for Ivan Nova, who's been has good starts, but also you know got roughed up this week against Baltimore? Here's a guy that uh, you know the White Sox went out and got from uh, from the Pirates, but uh, I I don't know. I mean he, he's he's been up and down. Yeah, my guess is is he's got another month for sure. Uh, if he stays hot, cold, hot, cold, I think at the end of May, you know Rick may have to make some tough decisions. But you would hope that as the weather warms up. Not like we're seeing no. today, but as the weather warms up, he warms up and finds a little bit more consistency. Yeah, I would say that he's got a little longer leash, uh, you know, being healthy, first of all, and being a guy that they traded for rather than picked up uh, at the end of spring training to, to give a shot to. 
I think he's got a little bit longer, but again, it's not uh, it's not extremely long. All right, let's let's do my favorite moment from the week, and it came in the Baltimore Orioles game, or I think it was game two of the series, and uh, a White Sox fan in the stands looking for a baseball. It didn't work out for him, but it sort of did. Here's the audio from Sox TV. Doesn't want it. If Ooh, it's not coming to me. Wait a second. The Sox fan does not want it from the Oriole fan. Oh, that's what that's it is. That's what it is. Yeah. No, I, well, you know what? I can compromise my principles. I can just lie <laughs> about who threw it. Look, you have to have scruples, right? Well, up to a point, yes. But when you really want a souvenir, sometimes. Okay, so here Flores throws it in, which is a nice thing, and Oriole fan catches it, which is also. But you know what? Nope. And he says, nope, I'm not taking it. It's from an Oriole fan. Forget it. And then... It's too tempting. It's just too tempting. You got it. Yep. Oh, I don't want it. Doesn't look like he's elated with yeah, that. Yeah, it's crestfallen <laughs> souvenir receiver. <laughs> boy, he got a new baseball, but boy, am I depressed. That, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. You're not supposed to be forlorn when you get a ball. So there it was this the kids wearing a Sox jersey. It was an Oriole Flores who throws it in the crowd. Orioles fan reached I, out. Yeah, you know he's forty years old, and then he sees the kid, so he feels bad. So here, here's his parent trying to reward a, a like a twelve year old kid too, right? About twelve years old. Looked about twelve. Yep. Yeah, and so and the kid. He doesn't want it because he didn't catch it himself, and the, and the guy kept on ins insisting, 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 and then finally he takes it and he's pissed. I loved that the kid didn't feel like he was entitled to the baseball. Like you, a three-year-old, you could give it to him, but the twelve-year-old, right? That, no, that there was integrity. His mom and dad are teaching him the good baseball etiquette. You know what? If I don't catch it, it's not mine, and it it really doesn't have the same kind of panache to it. And then there's the forty-year-old who, if he doesn't give the ball to the twelve-year-old, gets booed out of the stadium. See, right, and that's the thing. You first of all. I'll bet the 12-year-old heard all the booze mm -hmm. coming, too. So he's like, okay, I'll take, take it. it. Yep. Well, there's a certain integrity. Like, Listen, you, that does not count in my mind as catching a ball in the stands right. if, it, if it's handed to you by a player. It's got to be off the bat. You've got to make a play. Then you, then that's like the that's the top of the mountain as far as getting a ball. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But so, it's a pretty close second. Yeah. If there's a real major leaguer with a real ball, game ball, looking and tossing you that's still pretty special that's okay that's number two that okay fine what but like the what about a real major leaguer walking to you right on the wall and handing it to you there's a difference between that and yeah it, right you didn't you you i mean it's nice but you got the ball because you're sitting in the front row yeah that's i i, I like the guy throwing it to you more than just handing it to you that's how i got the only ball i ever got in my life I was, awesome. I was at I was at uh, Wrigley Field with my grandfather uh, in September of one of the seventies years, where it was like five thousand of your your closest friends were there, and we were sitting by the bullpen, and uh, I'll never forget the bullpen coach's name was Jimmy Saul, so my grandfather takes my glove and throws it over the wall to Jimmy Saul to to give me a ball. I'm like, what are you doing? My, I'm looking at my grandfather like, what are you doing? My, my, that's my glove. I need it for tomorrow's game. <laughs> And it came back with a ball in it. I'm like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, what was your philosophy, Michael, off when you're in the outfield and they're, they're screaming for you for a ball? Hey, off! <laughs> when would you? They rarely said the last name. There was other adjectives <laughs> thrown in before that, especially on the road. At home, you know, I, I would always try to find a couple kids, um, boys and girls. Um, I'd try to make sure 
I got close enough that could say thanks for coming out and then tossing them the ball, but saying to the kids also, hey, I, I, I can only toss a couple, yep. kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. I got to focus on here. And for the most part, at home especially, everyone understood. One of the coolest things I've ever seen a player do was in a, it was a White Sox-Cubs game at Guaranteed Rate Field, and Greg Maddox is in the outfield, and he sees a kid down the left field line with a mitt, and he points at him, and the kid kind of looks at him, and, he, and, and then he weighs like, I want to play catch with you. And they start playing catch from, you know, 30, 40 feet, and it goes on for a while, yeah, like 10, 10 yeah, throws. Yeah. I'm like, that, that's now awesome. that's a memory for a kid. Right. You don't need a ball. I mean, because, no. again, that, you will be able to tell that story forever and, and incredibly impactful. I was weeping that it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so, that would be a lot of fun. Can I bring up a play from last night's game? Sure. That I don't, don't think I'd ever seen before in my entire life, but it, I knew the rule. But it was the home run, the, the second home run for Jose Abreu last night, which ended up not being a home run because he actually passed Tim Anderson on the base pass. And I, I give John Hicks a lot of credit. The kid from uh, from Detroit was playing first base immediately, was holding his hands up like, hey, we got to review this, we got to review this. And they take the home run away, and they call it a two-run single because the ball actually left the field, and he get a put out to the to the first baseman on a basically what turned out to be a long home run single. Yeah, Tip, I, I remember a couple times not being the guy at first, uh, definitely not the guy hitting the home run, but there was a couple times at second when I was on second base and there was a guy on first, deep fly ball, are we both going to score? Am I going to tag up because there's nobody out? But I remember consciously looking at the base runner yelling at him, wait, 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 because i got to see this. So, again, for Tim, I'm sure he's halfway thinking it's a home run, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. I don't know if that's out. I, I If I tag up, now we have two guys in scoring mm -hmm. position. So as the hitter, I, again, I, I never really hit home runs, so I was never looking that way. <laughs> but you wish Jose may have been looking, looking down way, a little yeah. bit quicker. I was driving back from dinner uh, listening on the radio, and DJ called it right away. He did. He, he was he nailed it. It was all over it. Uh, and he, but they they were even they were not 100 percent certain what the rule was, yeah. uh, which eventually got clarified and whatnot. So, but and luckily it didn't end up hurting the White Sox because Timmy came through. And we got a special guest coming back here, great White Sox fans. Let's take a quick timeout and we'll wrap up the show with one of your White Sox diehards next. 720 WGN. Wrapping it up on White Sox Weekly, Mark Carmen, Andy Mazur, Michael Huff with you. The beat will continue at 5.30. Joe Brand's going to sit in with me till 7 o'clock. I saw a great piece this week, guys, uh, in uh, whitesoxpride.mlbblogs. Live and breathe Southside loyalty is written by Matt Agleski. hope I'm pronouncing that right. And this is a White Sox season ticket holder. His name is Andy Palagai. I hope I'm saying that right, Andy. We'll talk to you in one second. And he goes, as a season ticket holder, he comes from Peru, Indiana. So that's a 120-mile drive to get to Guaranteed Right Field. And his goal is to see the White Sox play in every single stadium. And he's got Atlanta left. So this is a true diehard. Uh, and joining us now at White Sox Weekly. Andy, thanks for taking time. You, are, uh, you deserve some pub, man. You're an incredible fan. Congrats. Thank you, fellas. I sure appreciate this opportunity. Do you remember Michael Huff back in the day? Because I know you've had a season. You've been a season ticket holder forever. Yes, sir, buddy, White Sox outfielder. <laughs> thank you very much. Thirty-nine years—that is incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Favorite moment in White Sox history, Andy? Go ahead. Outside of winning the World Series, you get pick something different. 
Okay, I'll give you a good one. Philip Umber out in Safeco Field in Seattle. I was there for the perfect game. You were in Seattle for the game too? Yes, sir, everybody. <laughs> that, that's that is some serious good luck right there. That does not that doesn't happen. Sure all right, so so what? What's your favorite park outside of Guaranteed Rate Field that you've seen? Of course, uh, you haven't been to the new Atlanta Stadium yet, but what's uh, what's the one that uh, you, you've liked the most? It's easy. I'm a big favorite of Baltimore's Camden Yards. And and you've got uh, these pictures, and you you got hats with things on your head. You've got uh, you got jerseys from everywhere. You're you're a very distinctive White Sox fan. What's what's your what's your favorite thing that you get to wear to a game? I like my Frank Thomas jersey. The uh, it's an All Star jersey. I really enjoy it. And you sit in section one twenty four, row eight. Is that right? That is correct. Do you want White Sox fans to come say hello to you and say you they heard you on WGN? Are you down with that? Yeah, absolutely, I'm all for it. All right, Andy, you're the fan of the game here, man. I wanted to recognize you. This is a cool story. So uh, keep on going, man. You're you're uh, the, the White Sox appreciate you. Know that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if I could have one moment, I'd sure like to give up one little plug. Yeah, go ahead. Eddie C. Thanks, Ed. All right. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Eddie C., you're the man. There you go, Mazer. I think that's pretty cool. Now, I want to I ask you this, too, Mike, because as a player, when you look around the stands, there are certain people that you see every day, and you know who they are, right? I mean, yep, season you get to holders. see the people. Well, at home you do. Yeah, well, that's what I mean, for the home games. That's, right. that's got to be pretty cool because you, you get to, that, that familiarity with these people that are sitting there all the time. I don't know. If you, do you know their names and things like that when you were, when you were playing? When I was playing, I yes, especially out in the outfield. For me, you know, um, Play mostly in right, sometimes giving Lance or Tim Raines a day off in center and left. But in right field, I, you, I would hear every day, you go New Trier, go Northwestern, and you start to turn around and they would say, hey, I went this year or I went to college this year. And all of a sudden it's like, do you know this person? And two or three degrees of separation, you realize pretty quickly, I know this guy or That's this awesome. woman. And, yeah, you would jog out there and you'd kind of, like, look up and you'd see them and you'd wave and they'd wave back. It was pretty fun. That's cool. Uh, our, our fan, Andy, by the way, was sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com. We're always trying to make your car shopping fun. I mean, to grow up in this town and to get to play for your hometown team, and I know you grew up both a Cubs and Sox fan, that's uh, – that doesn't happen to everyone, Michael Love. You should be very proud of yourself. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, it was a great journey, and these three years here were it, in, incredibly memorable. Did you get to play for your hometown team? Uh, well, my hometown <laughs> radio station. You know, I get to play for this station. That's that's true. That's this pretty is a, cool. This is a huge opportunity yeah, that's also. Pretty cool. But it's not as cool as playing Major League Baseball. Well, that's true. But I knew I was never going to do that. You know, the world needs announcers too, you know. That's 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 a very good point. Uh a lot of fun today, man. Great to see you, Michael. Off. Well, we hope to do it again. Here. Yes, likewise. And, and Mazer, you are right too. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I like to think that uh, Mike carried the show he, just because he can. Right. We, while we were just here, just living. Yeah, it's okay. It was. It was. A, it was a lot of fun. All right, team. White Sox game, uh, of course, was snowed out tonight. Doubleheader day night, July third. Sox and the Tigers tomorrow. We we'll have the pregame at twelve thirty-five. Twelve thirty-five. All right. White Sox weekly is a wrap. The beat is coming up. Joe Brand will be with you. And, uh, yeah, news coming up in two minutes on 720 WGN. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 